you can listen to The Front on your smart speaker every morning. To hear the latest episode, just say, play the news from The Australian. From The Australian, here's what's on the front. I'm Claire Harvey. It's Tuesday, February 20. Dietary advice from the government is set to include not just calories, fibre and fat, but the environmental sustainability of your lunch. Meat producers are furious. They say the National Health and Medical Research Council should only be advising on the health benefits of food. Less than 1%. That's how much the aged care nurse shortage has improved since October, and it's got everyone worried that the sector won't meet new mandatory requirements for round-the-clock nurses when new rules come into effect later this year. On theaustralian.com.au right now, we have breaking news and the latest analysis of a big shake-up in Australia's defence policy, with the Navy to be radically reshaped. But now we're going to the Arctic to explore the life and death of Russian dissident Alexei Navalny, the YouTube superstar, who had the courage to call Vladimir Putin a criminal. Stay with us. The sun will set just after 4.30pm today on the treeless Arctic tundra of Siberia's Yamalo-Nenets region, and the temperature will plunge from minus eight degrees Celsius to minus 12. It'll be dark for 16 hours before the sun limps over the horizon again. Today's forecast is for a howling wind to blast snow showers across the frozen plains. This is where the world's most famous political prisoner, Alexei Navalny, has died in a Russian prison camp called IK-3 Polar Wolf. Navalny was 47. His body was ravaged by the effects of a nerve agent poisoning from a few years ago. He'd been asking to see a dentist for nearly two years. He had serious pain in his back and struggled to walk. He was serving a 28-year sentence on what were widely regarded in the West as trumped-up charges of fraud and extremism. Just a day before his death, Navalny seemed in good spirits at a court appearance via video link from the Polar Wolf camp. (laughs) Prison camps just like Polar Wolf were the inspiration for two of the 20th century's most evocative pieces of literature. Books by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, The Gulag Archipelago, and One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich. He didn't want the morning to come, but the morning came as it always does. This is a 1970s adaptation of Denisovich, written after Solzhenitsyn's own years in prison, after being convicted for criticising Soviet leader Joseph Stalin. Rumour had it that it was the Chinese who had given the authorities the idea of serving boiled grass instead of porridge. A bowl full of it weighed more than half a pound, but when you'd eaten it, you were still hungry. The good thing about it was that it had no taste hot or cold. Now, sad to say, prison camps have a long history in Russian culture, but it it developed really to an industrial scale under communism. 
Greg Sheridan is The Australian's foreign editor. And life in these camps is cruel, harsh and primitive. You don't get enough food, you don't get enough heating, especially the ones in the Arctic, and you're liable to be killed at any time by the guards. Now, Alexei Navalny was unbelievably brave to go back there and everyone predicted he would be killed in one of the camps and that is what has happened. Late on Friday night Australian time, the news broke that Navalny was dead. Anthony Albanese immediately blamed Vladimir Putin, as did other world leaders. Australia's ambassador to Moscow took the highly unusual step of laying flowers at a makeshift memorial, even as police were dragging away ordinary Russians in their hundreds who tried to pay similar tributes. Alexei Navalny was born in 1976 to a Russian mother and Ukrainian father. He became a lawyer and entered regional politics in the early 2000s as a Russian nationalist. But quickly the authorities began to see him as a threat. A series of protests, arrests and prison time began. This turned Navalny into a campaigner for democratic reforms and against what he said was rampant corruption from the Kremlin down. With a wildly popular series of social media videos in which he bluntly accused Russia's power elite of criminality. He attempted to run for president in 2018 and that's where he came directly into conflict with Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin these days presents himself as a sort of a Russian Orthodox Christian defender of the West, but he was a KGB colonel and he really has wedded all the methods of communist repression with over-the-top Russian nationalism and a pattern of completely fraudulent Russian Orthodox religious declarations as well. In 2020, Navalny was poisoned with Novichok, a nerve agent, an act he and his supporters directly attributed to Putin. Upon his return from treatment in a German hospital, Navalny released a documentary with drone footage of a glittering golden palace in southern Russia. Navalny said the president had used money embezzled from ordinary Russians to build what he called Putin's palace. Here's Navalny in the video, speaking through a translator. I really want to understand how an ordinary Soviet officer turned into a madman who's obsessed with money and luxury and literally ready to destroy the country and kill for the sake of his chests of gold. Here's Alexei Navalny speaking to the US 60 Minutes on CBS. You know, you used to be known as the man who had no fear. But what about your family? Do you ever think uh, that you are putting them in danger? That is the toughest part. Yes, I don't feel any fear, but children, what is kind of really horrible thought if they will try to use this Novichok somewhere around my apartment mm -hmm. where my children is coming, like, you know, this door or something, but everyone can touch it. But anyway, we should fight these people because they will never stop. They will poison someone else. They will poison more people. In 2006, former KGB agent and Russian defector Alexander Litvinenko was poisoned in London, where he'd been informing on Russian organised crime. He died in a British hospital, blaming Vladimir Putin. Alexander Litvinenko's death from acute radiation sickness was slow and agonising. But unlike most murder victims, he was able to give extensive interviews to British detectives before he died. 
In 2018, Russian double agent Sergei Skripal and his daughter Yulia were the targets of a botched assassination attempt, also in Britain. Navalny's death feels different. Now, Alexei Navalny, we, we ought to pay tribute to him. He must be the bravest man on the planet. Uh, he was the leader of the Russian opposition, and he very much echoes the old dissidents in the Soviet Union. The poisoning was meant to kill him. He was nearly dead, but he recovered. But then when he was fit and well again, he went back to Russia to lead the opposition. Now, the Russian government put him in jail straight away, but I think they're a bit embarrassed about killing him immediately. However, his courage is quite magnificent, and whenever he's appeared at court hearings and so on, he has retained his defiance of Putin and the authoritarian Russian system. He's occasionally smuggled out through his lawyers or relatives statements to the Russian people, urging them on to keep going in their resistance. And most recently, he smiled and gave you know, positive gestures at his latest court appearance, and then he was killed the next day. The official story out of Russia was first that Navalny died of a blood clot, and then the story changed to sudden death syndrome. His heart just stopped. His mother rushed to the camp, but was unable to find his body in a local morgue. There are reports his body was covered in bruises that couldn't have been sustained through the hard manual labour Navalny endured at the camp. Next month, Russians will vote in a presidential election that Putin will almost certainly win exactly the way he planned it. So, is Navalny's death a well-timed message to any would-be opponents? I mean, in a sense, nothing is a coincidence in Russia. On the other hand, you can overinterpret these things. There's a famous story of the State Department when the North Korean dictator Kim Il-sung died and the CIA director's question to the State Department boss was, now, why do you think he did that? <laughs> it may have had more to do with the timing of what's going on in Ukraine. But on the other hand, it, it's not an unreasonable speculation that he's sending out a message before the presidential election. He's saying to Russian citizens, don't you dare think that you can use the sham election that I'm about to hold as a pretext for engaging in any anti-state protest. They want the power that they wield to cause people to be scared, above all their own citizens, but also international actors. The final reflection I'd offer, Claire, is that the terrible tragedy of this is that Russia is really one of the world's greatest and most magnificent civilizations. And there is a deeply sophisticated culture and a people who would be European and free who are being constrained by the savage authoritarian power of Vladimir Putin, who is really a kind of a communist emperor. But he also has learnt the lessons of communist techniques of repression and eventually he'll grow old and feeble and he'll be replaced. But there's no sign that the ruling system is under any serious real challenge within Russia. Coming up, if Vladimir Putin is wiping out his enemies one by one, does that mean he's feeling weak or feeling invincible? While I have you, we'd love you to join our subscribers at theaustralian.com.au where we have the nation's best news, analysis and commentary 24-7. We'll be back with Greg Sheridan after this break. My name is Manny Karoudis and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. 
I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts. In August, one of Vladimir Putin's former lieutenants was killed in a plane crash north of Moscow. Yevgeny Prigozhin had launched a rebellion against Russia's military leadership exactly two months earlier. The leader of Russia's mercenary group, Wagner, has insisted it was not a coup, but rather a protest. Some analysts suggested Putin was weakening and had Prigozhin killed to warn other potential rebels. There's similar commentary now after the death of Navalny. Maybe this shows Vladimir Putin is feeling threatened. I'm not really convinced by that analysis. I think he was embarrassed by the Prigozhin rebellion. And very early on, a lot of analysts, including me, said, well, look, either Prigozhin or Putin must die out of this. There's just no other logical outcome. You're not going to be allowed to stage that kind of rebellion and stay alive unless you win. Prigozhin would be killed, and indeed that's exactly what happened. And sadly, if Putin does fall, he's more likely to fall to a Prigozhin-type figure than to a Navalny-type figure, because control of the armed forces would be probably the decisive thing. But dictators, in a sense, are always brittle, even at their most powerful. So. A dictator doesn't serenely rule for 20 or 30 years. He is always sleepless. He is always sleeping with one eye open and a revolver under his pillow. So the fact that he thinks Navalny was a threat to him is a magnificent tribute to Navalny's moral courage and standing and heroism. Greg Sheridan is The Australian's foreign editor. You can read all the news and analysis on defence, world affairs and everything else right now at theaustralian.com.au. I'm Sarah Lamarquin, Editor-in-Chief of Stella and host of our podcast called Something to Talk About. Every weekend we publish a new episode where you'll hear compelling personalities, strong opinions and thought-provoking conversations. I wanted to be able to do it in my time when I was ready and speak my truth when I was ready. The topic of when do I become a mum, that is in my mind 24-7. Search for Something to Talk About wherever you listen to your podcasts.